First of all, let me start out saying I'm glad that you're all here today. Uh, it's exciting to be here on a Sunday where we can learn and grow together. But I'm not dressed up for you today. I am dressed up because I have a wedding to do about 30 miles west of Williamsburg. And the bride always likes me to be dressed kind of spiffy. I'm going to wear a robe. I'm going to wear a robe today because it was requested that I wear a robe. I'm going to look very clerical today. Uh, but uh, I would have dressed a little bit more casual if, uh, if I didn't have to do the wedding. Hey, that song was a great song in terms of it was the plaintive cry of youth basically saying, I'm trying to figure my life out. I'm trying to, to find out which way do I go. And I don't, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble, but I, I, I need something bigger than myself. And I was there when I was young, when I was 19, 20 years old. I needed something bigger, bigger than myself. I didn't know what it was. But when I found Christ, it all shifted. Everything shifted. And then I got involved with the church. And being involved with the church gave me a higher vision for what the church could be. And it changed everything about my life. And I kind of want to talk to you about all that today in a message I call, How Much Does That Cost? How much does that cost? It's a a question we ask all the time. I asked that question the other day when I went to my favorite place on Great Neck Road, George the Bagel Baker, and he had a meatball sandwich, a meatball that his mother made, fabulous meatball on a bagel. For $5.69, you can take a 15-minute trip to heaven. Right there. Put that meatball on a bagel, and if it doesn't take you somewhere, then I'll give you your money back. It is phenomenal. $5.69. That's how much it costs. We ask that question all the time. When I go to wash my car, I go down on First Colonial Road to the Autobell car wash, and I always get the car wash that only costs $4, because I figure, why should I spend $15.99, or why should I spend $16.99, when I can do 4 bucks to drive through and let the air and the wind that God made dry the car, you know, so I just, I just drive down the road, the, the wind dries the car, and, uh, and 4 bucks, I am in, I am out, that's how much it costs. Money Magazine's always talking about what are you going to do with this and what are you going to do with that and what to do with $1,000 now because there's a lot of things that have costs in life and you're trying to, to squirrel your money away so you have money so you can ask the question, how much does that cost and do I have enough? We're always asking, how much does that cost? Let me take you back 2,000 years when a group of people began to figure out this is what it costs to really live life. This is what it costs to really be the church. This is what it costs to really follow Jesus Christ. And they they started a movement that changed the world. We are here today because of the movement that these people started. But we always have a choice. If we stop asking the question, how much does that cost? We miss the whole point of the movement. So I always like to go back to these early passages in the book of Acts to remember what it was like back then, 2,000 years ago, as, as a group of people gathered together with some hope 
and some dreams and some faith so that they could figure out what God was doing in their midst because their story from long ago must remain our story today. Acts chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Anyone, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what they were doing is they were taking a big risk. They were risking everything on something that they believed was the truth. They were risking everything on a person that they believed was the embodiment of the truth. Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, the resurrection, it all comes down to that. And our belief in that changes everything about the way we live if we're willing to really believe in that and put our lives into that. Bob Merritt writes, when when life's not working, a little passage about risk. When was the last time you and I chose to step into something that was not safe? When was the last time we had to pray, had to pray, and had to read God's word because we'd collapse in fear if we didn't? Most of us live lives that are entirely too safe, standing on the banks of the river, wondering why God doesn't do something amazing. In order to see and experience God's power, you have to give yourself to something that is not safe. And if you do, you will become a bigger and bolder person. And so it wasn't safe politically for them to be doing what they were doing. It wasn't at that time going to put them in a higher position in, in in the culture. It was a big risk that they were taking to give everything to Christ, to found everything, their thought processes, their worship processes, their community processes, all to be founded upon this idea that a risen Savior changes everything about life. But they were willing to do that. They were willing to take that risk. Acts chapter 4 puts it this way. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And the word is literally soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. It was mind-boggling. It was a whole different way of doing life together. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of 
encouragement. He was such an encouraging person that they gave him that name, Barnabas. And who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was willing to take a risk because of what he knew was true. They were all willing to lay it all on the line because this is what they knew was true and they knew that they could not find life in social institutions or religious institutions, but they knew that they were finding life in and through Jesus Christ and it changed everything. And that's how we started and that's why we're here today and that's why we have to understand what are the the foundation stones of this kind of a movement? What are the building blocks that call us to build lives like this today? I'd like to talk to you this morning about something that we hold on to very, very strongly at Springbridge. It's, it's the five G's. It's, it's an announcement of who we are. And if you got the, the text, if you're doing the 33733 text thing with me, I, I said, you know, you're going to, do you know what the five G's of Spring Branch are? I'll give you the first one. It's grace. And you're going to find out what the other ones are today. So you can still jump in on that 33733 and you get those texts during the week so you kind of know where we're going each Sunday. But the five G's are so important because it takes us right back to where they were in the first century. We're in the 21st century. The span of time doesn't matter. It's inconsequential when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ and delivering to the world the life that he's created in us and through us. Let me talk to you about the five G's this morning. The first one is grace. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 1. The first account I compose, and this this is Luke And he's saying the first account, that was his gospel of Luke. And so now he's writing this story of the early church in the book of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had the Holy Spirit, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And so Luke begins to to develop this great story, this great calling that we have on our lives, a calling that Jesus himself put on our lives. What grace says is that you know that you belong to Christ and you know why you belong to him. You know that you belong to him. You know that you have asked him into your heart. You know that you have accepted him into your life. You know that his love and grace 
carry you through each and every day, even through the, the trouble, even through the ups and downs and in-betweens and the confusing times. He carries you through because that's what he has promised to all of us. It's all written down in three verses in Ephesians chapter 2 that I, I just I've brought to you before. And I love these three verses because it's almost like here's Christianity in three verses. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that any man should boast or so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works or to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And so there you have the essence of why we're here. And there you have Christianity in three verses. You have been saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. You couldn't do anything to earn this. You didn't have to do anything to earn this. God was pleased to give this to you, not of yourselves, nothing you could do. It's the gift of God. That's grace. But then there's another side to this understanding of grace. It's not, well, it's grace and then just kick back and wait till you go home to heaven. It's grace, just just take it as a gift and don't do anything about it. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand or in advance for us to do so that we would work in them. So what it's saying is grace is, is like a, a launching pad. It's like you couldn't do anything to get it. It was given to you. You are going to live in heaven with Christ forever because you understand what he did on the cross and you received him and you understand forgiveness of your sins. You've asked him into your life and you, you want to live for him and with him and he lives in you and through you. But now you want to change the world. You want to do stuff that makes a difference in the world. So grace becomes a launching pad for the church to make a difference in the world. As a matter of fact, that's what the word church means in the first century. It was the word ecclesia, and it meant to call out with power. And and it was a political word. It wasn't a religious word. And when Jesus said, I will build my church, he said, I'm going to create a group of people that are going to call out with power, and they're going to change the world. So grace says, I know Christ. I know what I'm here. I know what this is all about. The defining moment of my life was when I received Christ and now I live for Christ, making a difference in the world by looking around to see what has to get done for him. And I let him accomplish those things through me. It's why we're called the body of Christ. It's why you know, we, have, we use our hands are his hands and our feet are his feet. It's just an amazing, amazing aspect of who we are. The first G is grace. The second G is growth. Your growth tells the story of your life. It tells the story of your life. In the 60s and 70s, John Wooden built a dynasty in collegiate, in collegiate basketball. There he is with his, with his team. He won over a 12-year span 10 NCAA basketball championships. 10 unprecedented, amazing But what happened before those 10 championships in 12 years? Where was John Wooden? It took him 15 years to get there. 
And in those 15 years before he won all those championships and became arguably the greatest college basketball coach ever, those 15 years, he grew. He learned about the game. He studied the game. He tried things. He failed. He succeeded. He analyzed. It took 15 years of growth that nobody ever talks about and the very few books are written about for him to get to this place where he became the John Wooden, the legend of NCAA basketball. Your growth tells the story of your life. And there are three aspects to growth. Knowing God better, knowing the Bible better, and knowing yourself better. Knowing God better means that you understand how God works and you understand what God is trying to accomplish in your life. We often say things like, I I need to know God's will, or I'd like to know what God's will is for my life. God's will is always one of three things in your life. God's will is either an intervention when God is just going to show up and you can't do anything because he's just showing up and taking care of something that is strategic in your life that just needs to get done. You can't do it. He does it. Uh, Brief story. When we were looking for property to build a church on, and this is now back how many years? Like 12, yeah, it's 12, 14, 15 years. We finally gave up looking for property because we couldn't find a suitable piece of property for Spring Branch Community Church. And so we got to a point after stomping on a lot of different pieces of property, we said, we're just going to stop looking because we don't know. Our collective wisdom was, we just don't know. That's when it happened. Somebody called us and said, hey, there's this piece of property on Great Neck Road. Would you like to take a look at it? Would you like maybe to buy this piece of property for your church? And I don't even know how this person heard about us. And we came and we looked at this property and it was just a field and it was a part of a farm. uh, and, And we felt like, yes, God wanted us here. It was as if God was saying, this is where I want you. God intervened and we could do nothing. And sometimes God intervenes like that. There's intervention. There's interaction. Interaction is when God uses you to do something. And you realize this is how God works. He uses me or he uses our lives together to get stuff done. You know, this summer we did those, those days, those Fridays at Jay Cox Elementary School in, uh, or it's a middle school, whatever school, it's a school in Norfolk. And, uh, and we did those days with the kids down there, the fun days. And that's rolled into about two dozen volunteers from Spring Branch being involved in a reading program where you can sign up for any time that you have in your schedule. You can go down there to, to that school. You could read with kids. And somebody was telling me about that the other day and how much it really meant to them. And they showed up. And uh, that's God using us. That's interaction. God uses us. He's prepared good works for us to do. That's God's will. And you get to know God as he uses you to do stuff. And then there's interaction. Interaction is when God needs to change something inside of you. Maybe he needs to change something inside you about forgiveness. Maybe he needs to change something inside you about anger. Maybe he needs to change something inside of you where you keep tripping over the same stuff all the time. But the interaction of God, as God works in you, you get to know him better. You get to know his patience and his unconditional love. You get to know that sometimes it's tough love that he uses 
but God always is working in one of those three ways. He's intervening and you can't do anything. He's interacting and he needs you to do something. Or he's involved in an interaction that changes you. So you need to know God better. You need to know the Bible better. You need to know something about Genesis. You need to know something about Revelation. You need to know something about Proverbs and and the wisdom literature. You need to know something about Paul's letters. You need to know about the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You need to know the Bible better. And the only way you get to know the Bible better is you invest time and energy to do that. When I went to seminary, I didn't know diddly, as they say about the Bible. I didn't know diddly about it. I didn't know how to get from Genesis to Revelation and back and forth. I didn't even know there was such a thing as, as like Obadiah. What was, what was that about? I didn't know about uh, you know, the difference between Paul's letters and the Gospels. And I, I knew very, very little. But taking three years out of my life and grounding myself in the study, when I came out, I had the tools. I didn't know everything but I had the tools that I could use to know the Bible better. And then over the last 40 years or so, I've been able to know the Bible in a deeper way, just incremental understanding, layer upon layer of understanding. But you have to start somewhere with with that. That's why we have faith and life classes. That's why we have all kinds of, of Bible studies and places where you can grab onto this book because here's my prediction. You will come to a point in your life where knowing the Bible will make the difference between whether you fall or whether you fail or whether you succeed or whether you make it through. Because in the Bible is all of God's wisdom, all of God's truth, all the principles you really need to know to make it through life. And you will come to a point where there's going to be trouble and you are going to need to know and understand Scripture and know where to go. And the fact that you took your time and your energy in that is going to make all the difference in your life. You need to know God better to grow. You need to know the Bible better to grow. There's a, we have new small groups that are starting. Thank God for the feedback. You can jump in to one of those and know the Bible better. And then you have to know yourself better. And a lot of people don't get here. A lot of Christians don't get here. A lot of Christians major in knowing God better and knowing the Bible better. They never get to knowing themselves better. So they fall down because they, they have relational stuff that they can't quite figure out. This is why I do a relationship series every January and February so we can know ourselves better, know how relationships work and why they don't work. And this year on uh, January, we're starting our series. It's going to be called Brave. We're going to look at a lot of things we've never looked at before in terms of relational integrity in our lives. So growth is so important. Amy Grant, a long time ago, when she was starting out in her career, she wrote a song, and I memorized it. I've said it before. Uh, I love this song because it, it says that you can look like you're growing and not be growing. She called that song fat baby. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell he might even be you. He's knelt at the altar and that was the end. He's saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets a spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best. He gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and he don't mean maybe. He's sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood. His spiritual devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible in John 3:16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. 
I only hope that maybe he'll grow up someday. He's a mama's boy and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, please tell him I said, you never grow if you never get fed. You got grace. You got growth. My tour of 50 cities through the United States starts next week. I'll be appearing in many bagel shops across the country. Um, You have grace. You have growth. You have group. Here's the key to understanding group. Lots of people talk about small groups. Are you in a small group? You need a small group. You've got to have a small group. A small group in and of itself can just be, and I've seen this done so well, it can just be another place to hide. It can be another place to hide from reality, to hide yourself from other people. It can just be another fat baby situation. But a group is really the place that is defined by this one word. It's the word accountability. And there are three questions I'd like to give you about accountability. If you can answer these questions about any place in your life, then that's the group where you are becoming who God wants you to become. Three questions of accountability. One, where do you allow others to see into your life? Really let people look into your life. Look into your job. Look into your attitudes. Look into your thought processes about relational stuff. Look at your, your pursuit of God and your, your sincerity about this faith that you say you believe in. Where do you let God speak into your life through people who know what your strengths and weaknesses are? Where do you let somebody say, your weakness here, Michael, is going to bring you down? Or why don't you maximize this strength area of your life? Because I think there's even more potential there. But where does that happen in your life? Where do you connect at the heart level with people who know they are called to a higher purpose than just taking care of themselves? You see, life can get busy. It can be, get, get filled up with all kinds of stuff. Did you ever ask Uh, this question of a retired person. So what's it like to be retired? And they always say the same thing. I don't know how I had time before. I have so much to do now in my retirement. It's, it's, It's unbelievable. My life is filled up. And I'm sure that's true. And I would like when I retire for my life to be filled up also. But what happens is we let the list of things that fill our lives define us. We let the list of things drive every single day. So we're checking off the boxes. We're doing this stuff. And we got to get this done. We got to get that done. We got to get here. We got to get there. We got to make this phone call. We got to get this birthday present. We got to get ready for Thanksgiving. And all that stuff keeps us from the essence of what those people 2,000 years ago were all about. They were all about really looking at life and really evaluating it in terms of God's call upon their lives. They were all about the very foundation of what it meant that there was a resurrection and that changed everything. So it's not that we have a list. We all have lists. It's the question of whether or not we let the list define us. We let the list keep driving us and we never stop to think about what's really bigger in my life than this list. Where do you connect at the heart level with people who know they're called to a higher purpose than just taking care of themselves? Life will define you if you let it. 
men and women who are following Christ to find life. Accountability. Questions about accountability tell you if you are in a group or not, or if it's just another social thing that you do. Where is it in your life that it's not enough to say fine? Where is it in your life that's not enough to say, I'm fine, things are fine, things are great, things are okay? Wherever that is, it's getting you to the place where God is starting to allow you to be vulnerable enough that you'll be a person who changes the world because he's changing you. He's changing all of us together. Grace, growth, group, gifts. Now, gifts here define spiritual gifts. How do you know what your spiritual gifts are? How do you know what God has gifted you with? In Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, there are these lists of gifts. And I can't go over all of them this morning. I'm going to go over some of them, but I can't look at every single one. But there are some gifts that, that we don't even think about as being gifts. Those are the ones that engage my thinking. Because here's, here's a gift. It's called administration. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to a lot of, to a lot of you. Administration is defined this way, to steer the body toward the accomplishment of God-given goals and directives by planning, organizing, and supervising others. And all of a sudden you go, I have that gift. I do that well. I plan, I organize, I supervise, I drive towards a goal. That's how God wants to use you in his economy of ministry. One of my gifts is the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership partly means that you see a lot of different pieces to the puzzle and you try to pull them together to move it toward a desired result. That happened just the other day when I got a phone call and it was by a gentleman. Phone call came to me from a man in Virginia Beach who said, you told me to call you if I ever needed anything. I need food. I said, yes, we can help you with food. We'll take care of that. I'll call you as soon as I can. And we'll take care of it. Because he called me late at night. I think this was late, late Friday night. I got the call. So now, um, Saturday, I, I, I make my first phone call. My first phone call is to a woman at, in, in Spring Branch named Ellen Persikina. She and her wife, Thomas. Thomas is actually in, in Virginia's General Hospital right now. And yesterday was their anniversary. I called her with her husband in the hospital. It's her anniversary. And she was so gracious. They have a, a store uh, where they sell food in Virginia Beach on Holland Ro- Road. It's called the Meat Market. I said, can you provide us with some chicken for a man who doesn't have any food? She says, I'll make the call to my son. We'll get it done. Uh, it's my anniversary today. I'm doing a lot of things. I'll take care of it. I called Peter Strickland. Peter Strickland is getting ready to be on full-time staff with Young Life. He just graduated from James Madison. He's getting ready to go full-time with Young Life in Puerto Rico. And, and you know, I said... Peter, hey, how you doing? Good. What are you doing? Having lunch? I said, after lunch, can you do something for me? He said, sure. I said, before you go to Puerto Rico to be, you know, over all kinds of things, can you deliver some chicken? He said, yes. I said, good. Because, uh, you know, if, if you don't learn the basics, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. You got to learn the basics. So he goes, yeah, I'll take care of it. I said, just go in the store, say Michael Simone sent you, 
give me the chicken. So and he was going to bring it to the church. So he was accomplishing that. Ellen gave the chicken. I got somebody to pick up the chicken. I need somebody to deliver the chicken. I call a guy named Chris Lewis. Chris, what are you doing today? Well, I'm just kind of doing some stuff. I said, well, can you deliver some food for me later? He goes, yeah. I sent him the name, the address, the phone number where it had to be delivered. I called Alice, who runs the bistro here at Springburn. She loves to shop. I said, Alice, here's a name and a number. Can you call this guy? He's a diabetic. Try to get him some food that, that he really needs. She loves to do that for people. Alice goes shopping. So Alice goes shopping. The chicken gets delivered. Chris picks it up. I get a text at 4.10 yesterday afternoon. Mission accomplished. That's my gift. I didn't do anything. I did absolutely. I sat in my car the whole time. I just made fun. Okay, 10-4, good. You know, I just made phone calls. It got done. It's just amazing when we all use our gifts that God gave us. Let me tell you about a gift that I think is really, really cool. It's called the gift of helps. To render support or assistance to others in the body or the church so as to free them up for ministry. That's a gift. When you help, when you come alongside of a pastor, or you come alongside of a ministry director and you say, I'll take care of this so that you can do ministry with those students. I'll take care of this so that you can go on that mission trip. Um, giving, to share what material resources you have with liberality and cheerfulness without thought of return. That's a spiritual gift. Service, to identify undone tasks in God's work, however menial, and use available resources to get the job done. Get the job done. Service. It's not that theological. It's getting stuff done. Wisdom. Wisdom says to apply knowledge to life in such a way as to make spiritual truths quite relevant and practical in proper decision-making and daily life situations. If you want more information, go to Mintools, M-I-N-T-O-O-L-S, Mintools.com. It gives you page after page of the spiritual gifts and what they look like and, and how you know, one of those gifts might be you. And it gives you a test that you can take. You have to find out how God has gifted you so God can plug you into the right place. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, and then there's one more. It's called grace, giving, or generosity. I found these two verses that I'd never found before about giving. It's in Acts chapter 11, 29 and 30. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did sending it in charge of Barnabas, remember him, son of encouragement, Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution. There's three words that sort of jump out of that. Proportion, in other words, God's not asking you to give what you don't have. He's just asking you to look at what you do have and to figure out what to give. Proportion. Determine to think about it, to purpose in your heart that this is the, the proper way to, to give this, this amount. And they gave it. Proportion, determined, and gave. That's how life works. That's how it worked in the first century. That's how it works in the 21st century. 
That's how the church works when everybody does that. David put it this way in 1 Chronicles 29. But who am I and who are we, who are my people? He's talking to God, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We've given you only what you gave us. Grace, growth, groups, spiritual gifts, grace giving, generosity. When you put these together, you've got the early church growing and understanding that they were called to something bigger than themselves, being excited about the risks that they could take, realizing that, yes, there's a lot of trouble in life out there. There's political trouble. There's even theological trouble. But God has given us a sign. God has given us a Savior. God has given us a resurrection. And this compels us to live our lives with with great joy, with great purpose. One of my favorite all-time theological thinkers is a Danish theologian and pastor, Soren Kierkegaard. And one of Soren Kierkegaard's favorite stories, he, he told this parable of the ducks. He describes a town where only ducks live. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and squat in their, in their proper pews. The duck choir waddles in and takes its place. Then the duck minister comes forward and opens the duck Bible. He reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you, ducks. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like the birds. All the ducks shouted, Amen. And then they all waddled home. And Kierkegaard told that story over and over to just stick a needle in the side of a church that had lost its way, to poke at a church that needed to get outside of its theological box thinking, that needed to get back to a first century understanding of what was right and real and good. And he he needed them to be about grace and growth and accountability and knowing their gifts and about giving and generosity so that the world could be changed because the world is still waiting for somebody to speak up with one voice for that. And that's who we are. We are his church. He's called us to great things. A few weeks ago, Frank Gifford passed away. And after that, his wife, Kathy Lee, spoke on the Today Show. And she spoke words of truth and understanding about the truth that you rarely ever hear on national television. The, the, the foundation of the Christian faith is forgiveness, grace, and hope. And those of you who are hurting today or feel hopeless, it might be the answer for you. In fact, I know it's the answer for you. And um, one thing I do know about him is when we went to um, the Holy Land a couple of years ago, he came back a completely different person. He, we went to a place called the Brook of Elah in the Valley of Elah where um, shepherd boy David fought a different kind of giant named Goliath. And our friend um, Ray, who took us there, took us down to the Brook of Elah, and he said, all right, pick up a stone, because that's what David the shepherd boy did. He picked up five stones because he thought he might need more than one. 
He did that, the slingshot, and, and slew the, the, the giant. Um, but as Ray pointed out to us, it's, the miracle wasn't that the shepherd boy was able to kill the giant. The miracle was that the shepherd boy, who already had all the skills he would ever need in life, trusted in a living God, not a religion, but a living God. And Frank came back with a completely new perspective. And towards the end, after that trip, Hoda, you know, because you came with Joel, if somebody wanted to see his trophy room, they went into it, and he didn't take them to the bust at the end of, of his Hall of Fame. Yeah. He didn't take them to see his Emmys or his rings or his, all of his trophies. He took them straight over to the stone mm -hmm. that we brought back from the book, Brook of Ayla. And we got home from the Holy Land, and Cassidy graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. I don't know what she was expecting, but she got a stone. <laughs> and we said to her, Cass, where are you going to throw your stone for the kingdom of God? What is your stone, and where are you going to throw it? A week later, Cody graduated from college, USC, film school. He got a stone. Mm -hmm. And um, if you ever leave a legacy for your children, let it be that you've taught them friendship with God, and you've taught them to find their stone and show it, show it, throw it hard and well, and transform this hurting world that needs God's love so much. There's a true excitement about being part of something that challenges you to be everything God wants you to be. There's a soul satisfaction that comes when you know you've been able to grow your heart and your mind in God's economy of growth. There's a humility that resides deep in your heart when you know you carefully and prayerfully gave to ministry the resources God entrusted to you so that the world could know and connect to Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the God I wish you knew. Beth Moore put it this way. Jesus is greater than we have yet learned, more able than we have yet seen, more willing than we have yet dreamed, and infinitely worthier than we have yet risked. Where are you going to throw your stone? How much does that cost? Grace, growth, groups, spiritual gifts, generosity. How much does that cost? It always costs everything. It was like that when the church first started. It's like that today. And we do this together when we really purpose in our hearts to do this together. We are the church of the living God. We are the church of Jesus Christ and a resurrection. We are a church that changes the world. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just humbled to hear the truth today. And we're humbled that we can be called to build our lives upon grace, growth, groups, gifts, spiritual gifts, and grace giving, generosity. Father, help us to do this well. Help us to do this to be the light of the world and the hope of the world, Father. Let the, the purpose and the hearts of men and women 2,000 years ago be our purpose. May you receive all the honor and all the glory. We pray in the name of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.